You're listening to the Between You and Me podcast, brought to you by JesusWire.com, with your host, Jessica Morris. Christmas friends, some of you are definitely being like, Jessica, it's three weeks away, you're way too excited. No, we are in December, Thanksgiving is over, we have license to go and this is a Christmassy themed episode purely because we are talking to an artist who has just released a Christmas album. It is none other than John Mark McMillan. If I could play like drums there or something to like get excited than I would because he is one of the most iconic and influential names in Christian music writing at the moment. He wrote the original How He Loves that was then changed by Crowder. He has written songs for people like Passion and Jesus Culture. He is one of the most thought-provoking and in-depth artists that you will find at the moment probably in any music industry sector and he has a stellar conversation with me I actually can't wait for you to hear it because I think it's going to blow some people's minds um probably get a few people disgruntled but that's cool it's the whole idea of this is to get us thinking now we open by talking about his album Smile in the Mystery we start with Christmas stuff we're going to wade into a few other questions and we get into super deep water and talk about some things that are really significant, important stuff that was really challenging to me, but was really good for my heart to hear. So stick this one out, guys. He's really entertaining to listen to purely because he follows his train of thought and he's so incredibly honest, but he also has some stellar things to say. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with that ever honest and compelling John Mark McMillan. Imagine you're in church, maybe for the first time in a while, and pre-service worship is full of songs you don't recognise. Then the opening chords to How He Loves fill the auditorium. You remember singing this song when you were younger, maybe close to 10 years ago, and you recall knowing the words at the very least. But then you hear the line, heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. Wait a second, wasn't it sloppy wet kiss? You begin to wonder if you're experiencing some sort of Berenstain versus Berenstain type of Mandela effect. No, you're certain it was sloppy wet kiss. And you would be right. John Mark McMillan wrote the original How He Loves in 2005 for his independently produced sophomore album, Songs Inside the Sounds of Breaking Dawn. Penned after the tragic death of a friend, it was picked up by artists like Jesus Culture, Flyleaf and the David Crowder Band. And after David Crowder received John Mark's blessing to switch up the line in order to reach his audience of contemporary Christian music fans, the song and its songwriter have reached new heights. Signing with Integrity Media, in 2008, John Mark released Medicine, which peaked at eight on the Christian Billboard charts. His follow-up, Economy, made a mark on the rock charts and reached Billboard's top 100. Choosing then to form his own record label, Lionhawk Records, he continued to develop his own distinct sound. Bold, crisp instrumentals paired with both metaphoric and honest lyricism create an undeniably unique take on today's Christian music industry, and he goes against the K-Love mould by using a fusion of country, rock, and folk elements in his music. His choice to go independent paid off when in 2014 his album Borderland reached three on the Christian Billboard charts, and his 2017 follow-up Mercury and Lightning reached an incredible number one. What connects with John Mark's fans the most, perhaps, is how his voice struggles with anxiety and uses them as a basis for his songwriting. 
inadequacies, stress and feelings of alienation are turned into tools of worship rather than obstacles of the same. John Mark McMillan's newest release is Smile in the Mystery, his first ever Christmas album after a 17-year career. It features his wife and fellow singer Sarah McMillan. I spoke to John Mark about the inspiration behind their record, why people take lyrics too seriously, and how he navigates the creative process. This is John Mark McMillan. album is coming out in a few days now. Can you tell me why you chose to do a Christmas album only because it seems like every other CCM artist, not that I would classify you as CCM, but every CCM artist and like their grandma releases like a Christmas album in their first year. And from what I I know of you and I've gotten from your music is that you're definitely not cookie cutter. Like you, you follow your own agenda, you release things when you want to. Um, so why have you chosen like 17 years into your career to release a Christmas album? <laughs> well, so every year around Christmas, um, you know, things slow down in, in the music industry around Christmas. And so I'd usually be back from tour, you know, studio, um, you know, things just sort of close down. And whenever I have time off, I think I end up inventing things to do. And so every year around Christmas, I feel like, or several years in a row, I would end up calling my buddy Everett. He lives in the mountains. Um, and I'd say, hey, man, let's do a Christmas song together for fun. And so we'd get together and do a Christmas song. And I gave some of those away. So Baby Son was one of those. Um, a couple of the other songs, Silent Night, Smile in the Mystery. You know, a couple, of, we, a couple of songs from the record are those songs. I mean, we re-recorded them. But over the years, I was like, man, these are sort of piling up. Like, we should make a Christmas record. And Everett and I would sort of joke about it and then never get around to doing it. But then this year we were working on the Mercury and Lightning Sessions records and we re-recorded a lot of the songs with strings and Everett produced that. And we had so much fun doing that record. I was like, Everett, I don't want to stop working. Let's do a Christmas record like we've talked about for the past five, six years. You know, and, uh, and Everett was like, yeah, totally. So we did, we just kept working. And we recorded the Christmas record um, just right after we finished the Mercury and Lightning sessions. And um, it was so much fun. It's so much fun. And the song Baby Son, I think, too, I, I revisited that song. It's like, wow, this song feels more important today than it did when I wrote it back in, like, 2013, you know. So, yeah, Christmas record was something I never, I didn't, like, I didn't jump into music with dreams of doing a Christmas record, but just over the years we've written these songs and recorded these songs. I was like, these are really cool. It would be a lot of fun to do a Christmas record and uh, finally made it happen. So yeah, that's kind of the story. That's a good story. I enjoy that. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite track on there? Is it hard to choose one? A favorite track? Well, if I had to choose a favorite track, it would be Silver and Gold which is the track my wife sings. It's a, it's a song she's wanted to cover for many, many years. And, um, and so we, we covered it on this record. But what's interesting is that song is actually from a soundtrack. It's, it's from the Rudolph the Reindeer soundtrack from, gosh, like the 50s, I want to say. I love that song, but here's what's interesting about that song is we always assumed it was a longer song. And they just put like a verse of it in the movie. Turns out like there's only that verse. There's not much more to it. And we're like, oh, what are we going to do? So 
we had already decided to do the song. And so she and I wrote the rest of the song. Um, and it was so cool. We sat up late one night and wrote all the other verses and parts. And it sort of becomes a commentary about what is silver and gold. Because if you read the lyrics from that song, which is a super precious song, but if you read the lyrics, you're like, this is not like um, good in the sense that like there's, you know, they're singing about silver and gold. And probably what he's singing about is the way seeing the silver and gold makes you feel about Christmas. But if you take it literally, it's singing about how great silver and gold is, you know? And like, you know, I was like, why don't we write about what real silver and gold is? And so we wrote this really, really kind of nostalgic, sad uh, couple of verses about people you love and about your kids growing up and that kind of stuff. And it, and it, it turned out so good. It's probably my favorite track on the whole record. You'd come with a crown of gold, a string of pearls, the cashmere robe. We thought you'd clinch an iron fist and rain like fire on the politics. Without a sword, no armored guard. obviously um i mean you have there's poetic elements and you always have a personal story in there but then you manage to like you have biblical themes themes from literature I, I feel like i was reading through some of your lyrics yesterday and i even picked up like a reference to the merchant of venice i don't know if that was purposeful or not and then like there's some mythology in there you pull from such eclectic creative places can you tell me a bit about your creative process and how that comes together when you're creating a song yeah, sure. So, gosh. So, usually it starts with an idea, which is usually a word or a phrase. Um, you know, so it usually starts with a word or a phrase. And then I'll kind of, gosh, it's it's really kind of like, um, it's less like building something and more like excavating something. So, there will be a word or a, or a group of words that make me feel a certain way. And I'll say, why do I feel like this? And so I'll start to explore, you know, what, what, what these words might be trying to say to me, if that makes sense. You know, so like Baby Son, I think literally I started with the title of the song, Baby Son. Actually, no, I thought about that verse. It's kind of an obscure verse about the government will rest upon his shoulders. It's like, um, this prophecy of the Messiah, right? And I thought, how um, ironic is this? The government resting upon the shoulders of a homeless baby boy. You know, a homeless baby child is like, oh man, if that's not the gospel and the picture of Christ, like, then what is? It's beautiful. Then I'm excavating out from there. So what does that mean? Like, what does that mean at all? Like, 
then I thought about like, you know, without a sword, no, uh, no armored guard. You know, that's how a president or a king or a prime minister, they would, they would come with their guards and with their guns and with their security, you know, and here like Christ is, you know, just very weak. You know, it's like, gosh, it's like, that's got to say something about how God feels about politics and power. You know, it's like he, I, I definitely think that Jesus speaks to politics in the sense that um, I think it really matters to, I think it really matters how people are treated. But I don't for a second think that God thinks that government authority uh, has real power to fix the human dilemma. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I think like I think I think Jesus speaks to politics, but I definitely don't think that um, that political power is the answer in any way, you know. So anyway, so that that sort of whole idea sprung from just that little picture of thinking about that. So that's that's maybe out of the norm for me, to be honest. Like normally it starts with a word or a phrase, and I don't know exactly what it means, but it makes me feel a certain way. I mean, I'll know what the word itself means, right? But. I was like, what is this phrase? What direction is this phrase pointing me in? And and I'll just write from that place. I'll just see how the word fits in a melody. I'll just sing a random melody and see how the word fits. Because words have natural rhythm to them, you know, a natural cadence. Um and a lot of times I'll write and I'll I'll just have a string of words. I'll have a feeling or an idea and a string of words that surround that idea, and I'll place them at different places of the melody, and then I'll have to figure out how they connect. Normally, if something is in the same vein, it's easy to make them connect because they're already saying something. You just have to figure out how to articulate it. So many of, in fact, I'll probably say every single one of your songs is incredibly personal, which I I really admire as, not as a songwriter, but as a writer, just to how vulnerable you are when you sing, but also like on the page. How does like your own struggles and your own wrestling with the darkness impact that creative process is it is that something that inspires like the initial words of the song or is it something that you take into consideration when you start shaping it and putting it together uh well i think i i lose interest if it's not something i feel on at least a little bit of an emotional level i start to lose interest so i don't know that um the, the vulnerability i think is something that i work from from the beginning um because just saying things like I'll write things down, I'll have a I'll have a melody. I'm like, this is a fine melody. The words are okay. I believe the words, but um, but if they don't make me feel something in my gut, if they don't, if I don't make me feel, if they don't make me feel something, if I, if I don't feel emotionally connected to them, I lose interest very quickly. And so most of the time, really, what I do when I'm writing is sitting down, trying things, trying to find something that elicits an emotional reaction. That's what I'm looking for most of the time. And when I hit that, then I explore that, whatever it is, and then I start to ask myself, why does this elicit an emotional reaction? You know? Yeah. Like I think the first time I sang the lyrics, you know, the government now rests upon the shoulders of this baby son. Like I felt something, like I might've teared up a little bit. I was like, whoa, something about that just feels like it's important. It's something in there is really, really um, messing with me in the best way. But yeah, I think vulnerability is really important. I, I think the reason is because your editor will shut you down. You know, you have the side of your brain that edits you and the side of your brain that creates. And usually your editor is telling the other side to, to chill out, you know. Yeah.
And if you can't get past that editor, you don't come up with anything um, unique. That doesn't sound good. I, I mean, but it's, di it's difficult to come up with unique stuff, you know, that you need analysis. You need the, the ability to be analytical. But it's sort of like part of you will always tell you a new idea is stupid. Because most of your new ideas, not yours, our new ideas are dumb, right? Most of our new ideas are dumb and silly. And so if you don't allow yourself to be silly, then like the one out of 20 ideas that actually is really great, you'll never get to that idea. You'll never find it unless you allow yourself the vulnerability to be silly with 19 other ideas, you know. Um, and people don't like that. They think it's weird and it would be weird to see it happen, you know. Uh, that's why I don't write music in front of people most of the time because it is quite silly. Um, because you're just saying things that you don't understand and you're saying things that you, you know, but it's, that's a integral part of the process, right? We smile in the mystery in the night when nobody sees Invisible the hope grows In the black when nobody knows We smile in the mystery in the night when nobody sees Invisible the hope something really sacred and between you and God or you and your wife and, and your closest friends and then choosing to share it with the world like how do you sort of define what where that line is for you well that's really hard you know um because I've found that the things that um so I found the things that I'm usually less willing to share are the things that really seem to impact other people you know like those things that I've been with the producer, I was like, I don't know if I really want to say this. Those are the things we, you know, that they usually encourage me to use because those are the things that provoke a response from the listener. You know, a song like Enemy Love would be one of those where it's just like kind of a heavy song if I really got into the details. You know, it's like I'm doubting myself, I'm frustrated in certain areas of my life, and I'm, um, you know, like I'm really not happy with the way I have lived certain aspects of my life and I've done my best, but you know, have I paid enough attention to my kids and I'm feeling a lot of guilt, I'm feeling a lot of shame and I'm singing about it. And most of the time I'd be like, God, I do not want the world to hear me in my doubt and my shame and in a very not, um, or in a way that I don't think is very, um, uh, doesn't make me look great. But it's so honest. Like, I think people really respond to that song. Even if they don't understand it, they feel the honesty. So that's tough. That's always really tough. But, you know, part of it is willing to be brave enough to let those songs be sung and be heard, you know. Um, and I think probably most writers feel that way. And a lot of writers um, are afraid to put out certain songs or to say certain things. And maybe a lot of them don't. You know, but usually that's, those are the things that people respond to, you know, because they really want to know there's another person there, right? It's not just a computer making these songs, right? There's another human heart there and 
they know it when they hear vulnerability, you know. Yeah, and no, I love that because it, it does. It makes all the difference. And I'm thinking like in my own life, the things that I respond to the most are the honest things that nearly cost someone to share or in, in some capacity. That's what makes them so beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah, and I think too, people respond. I think anything can be honest, but I think what we're really talking about is believability. And I think what makes a song believable sometimes is when, gosh, what is it I'm trying to say? Something that doesn't make you look good, but you say it anyway. You know, and people, you know, it increases the believability because you're all of a sudden you're like, well, man, they must be telling the truth because this is not, um, you know, flattering, you know. And so there is something about that that makes other people sort of wake up and, you know, think like, okay, maybe they really believe what they're saying here, you know. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit just about your time in the industry, mainly because your last two studio albums, not counting this Christmas one, have both been on your own record label. And just observing that, it, it seems like you've, you've really made a point to sort of forge your own path and your own agenda um, in an industry which can be like really demanding in terms of schedule and how you create things. Was that intentional on your behalf or did you just decide that you much prefer to, to work with your own label instead of working with, uh, with like something else? Yeah, it was definitely intentional. Um, I could, I could probably work with a label and there's, I mean, maybe I will in the future even, you know, but I could probably work with a label and still do really good work and things and things not change much, you know? Um, but I, my experience with the label was that I had to, I had to have a lot of conversations about everything I did, you know, and I mean, and it's fine because they have the money and so they need to make sure their investment is a solid investment. But, you know, I got really tired of having all those conversations. Um, and usually I could do what I wanted to do. It was rare anyone would force me or even try to force me not to do something or force me to, to do something, you know? Um, but if anything was a little bit out of the box, I just had to have so many more conversations about that, you know? And that frustrated me because you burn up a lot of energy having these conversations. And then there are things you end up second guessing. You're like, man, I should have gone with my gut here, but you don't cause you have so many conversations about it. And I just didn't want to burn up so much creative energy trying to convince people that what I was doing is good. Now that doesn't mean it is good, but at least if I'm the one taking the risks, I don't have to have all those conversations and I can spend my time trying to make it as good as possible. You know, so really that's what it came down to for me. I just don't like having a lot of cooks in the kitchen. I don't like explaining myself um, because honestly, a lot of times I don't know what I'm doing until the final product. And then I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense. But if I got to tell you why I'm writing this lyric and this song feels this way, I'm like, I don't know. It's just fun. It's just what I want to do. And usually we get to the end, you're like, okay, this is why this was happening. Because we're all sort of creating. We're all in this flow, you know, and things don't always make sense in the moment. But you have to try things that don't make sense in order to get to a new place, you know. And I got so tired of trying to explain it. Or I'd have an idea. And they'd love the idea, and I'd try and be like, you know, the idea's good, but the, the songs aren't good. Like, the idea itself, like, the concept is great, but I don't like the product we're making, so I'm going to bail. And they don't like that, you know. They like, oh, wait, this is such a good idea. We could sell this this way. I'm like, yeah, but the product itself, what I'm actually making is not great, so I'm going to move on. And 
So that's that's difficult with a label, you know. But on my own label, it's easy to do because, you know, I just kind of do what I want. I was trolling back through the archives and I found your blog from years and years ago. And I came across the blog you wrote when the whole sloppy wet kiss debacle happened. Um, oh, gosh. And, and I can't even believe it was a thing because I was – here I was thinking, oh, this is just a funny thing. But no, people, like, had meltdowns over it on both sides because apparently there are sides to this song. It's bizarre. Um, I, I was wondering, like, how do you, I suppose – creatively like cope with backlash and like public scrutiny is is working on your own label like does that reduce it somewhat or is it just a different approach to it um i don't think working with my own label really um affects scrutiny either way i i think if you're successful at all you're going to be scrutinized you know, and um, and especially when most of what you do is posted online, you're just going to get a lot of feedback online. So there's, you know, so I've just had to learn how to just deal with scrutiny and just sort of, you know, let it go. And honestly, not spend a whole lot of time digging through comments for affirmation, you know, like, because you're always going to find something negative, no matter how good or bad the, the song is, um, someone will find something wrong with it, you know. And looking back, the Sloppy Wet Kiss thing, I just thought it was funny. I mean, I wrote that song so many years before it became a popular song. And I was like, really? This is a thing? I was, I was shocked that this was a problem for anybody. I don't hold to that line as being like one of the greatest lines I've ever written. In fact, it was a heavy song and I needed to lighten it up. And I thought this was a funny way to lighten it up. You know? Like, but people just got so, um, you know, worked up. You know, but I also realized like I I think the pro I think there are so many problems like it's not one issue, you know. I I actually think like people take lyrics way too seriously. First of all, you know, like I think people are really there's a lot of superstition that if you sing the wrong thing, something is gonna happen to you that's wrong, or you're gonna dishonor the Lord if you sing the wrong word, and that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life, you know, like. Uh, and, and so I thought that was crazy. And so from, for me, it's not, if, if people don't like the line, that's fine actually, because people just can't like everything that you do. But if people t tell me that it's like, there's a theological issue with the line, I think that's ridiculous. You know, like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Like, I think it's ridiculous that it makes anybody uncomfortable. First of all, it's like, why? I think it's silly that it would make people uncomfortable. But second of all, even if it does make you uncomfortable, that's not a reason not to sing the line, you know? And so to me, it was just this big chain of like, you know, I also just get really embarrassed about, you know, how believers listen to music, you know? It's, it's just embarrassing to me. Um, I don't think I care so much anymore, but it used to be a bigger deal. It's like, man, I, like, I don't know. I wanted like Christian music to be awesome, but now I'm like, it just doesn't matter. You know, like it, it really doesn't matter. It's about individuals. It's not about, you know, tribes of people or who cares about what the sort of corporate church, um, how they look or what they sing. If there was one thing you could change about the Christian music industry and in saying that, I know it's super broad because there are some artists that would subscribe to being right in it and then other artists who are independent and have a face. Um, but if there was one thing you could change about it, what would it be and why? 
I don't know. I honestly don't think I would change anything because I just don't know what changing it would mean. You know, like, it's not the, the issue really at the end of the day, the issue isn't an industry. The issue is a market, you know. Industry only exists because there's a market. So there's people who want, you know, certain kinds of songs. They want them a certain way. And so I don't know who I am to tell all those people that that I don't like their taste or something like that, you know. I wish that there was um I wish that there were some other places to have the kind of conversations that I want to have. I do feel like it's been hard in uh, outside of Christian music. You know, we sort of in this sort of nether region between sort of the, the Christian world and the general market, you know. But I've had a lot of general market opportunities that have gone away when they discover that I'm somewhat connected to the Christian industry, and that's really weird. And that frustrated me for a while. But then again, like, uh, people feel like, you know, there's this whole market of music where people believe that if you're different from them, you're going to burn forever in eternal conscious torment. And I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to let them play music with me either. You know what I mean? I guess I'm getting a little bit too heavy. But if, if you feel like this whole industry exists to tell people that if they're different than you, then they're going to be tortured forever. And and they're wicked, you know, then I understand why those people would be hesitant about letting some of us into their scene, you know? So I get, I get that. But at the same time, that's frustrating. So I guess, I don't know. It's not even that I would change the industry. I just wish there was, and you know what? There was in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was more of an opportunity for these more nuanced conversations to happen in music where you had you could ride the line between the Christian market and the general market. And part of that was because there was a lot more money in music. And now it's sort of like people are all picking sides because um, there's there's not as much money in the sales of music as there was. And so anything that's sort of nuanced or between the lines sort of ceases to exist as, as the whole industry sort of, um, I don't want to say collapses, but as the whole industry shrinks, you know, it's the things on the edge that get tossed out first, right? So I kind of feel like that's part of what's going on. You know, if you look at, there's so many bands from the 90s, and we used to go to Cornerstone Festival, and there's like all kinds of things happening. You know, the Danielsons and Sufian came from that world, and um, you have all the heavy music, and I mean, there's just a lot happening. And you just don't really see that anymore, and I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of it's cultural, but some of it has to do with the way uh, music is consumed now. So that's difficult. I don't know what I would change, you know. There are some things that happen to you You know I would fix I wish they weren't true But home is here where you are With me Christmas and
is just throw a few quick questions at them. Mainly they're questions that don't really seem to fit anywhere else, but people wish they could ask. I wanted to know, you sing a lot with your wife, um, which, as you can probably already tell from my reactions about the Christmas record, I think is adorable and love it. Um, (laughs) But can you tell me when you knew your wife was the one and that she, in some capacity, like, needed to sing with you? Oh, gosh. Ah, well... I met my wife a long time ago, and we were friends for a long time. And when I first met her, I, I really liked her. I wanted to pursue a relationship with her, but she wasn't so interested in a relationship early on. and um, So we just sort of became friends. I ended up dating other people, and I was actually in a serious relationship um, with a girl and got engaged, and that fell apart. And I ended up moving back to town and... Um, and honestly, on the way back, I was like, you know, I, I really enjoyed, you know, the time I spent with, you know, Sarah. Um, we call her Sarah. I was like, and she wasn't interested in a relationship. She's probably still not interested in a relationship. But I definitely had thoughts like maybe there's still a possibility with her, you know. And so we were friends for a long time. And so I feel like I knew it before she did, you know. But also she had some things to do. She wanted to finish college and I think she was focused on some other things. Um and so I don't know. It's weird for me to say that I kind of knew it immediately, um, but I had to sort of walk. I had to sort of walk away from it because she didn't know it immediately. Um, but it is really funny how it came back around. So I'd say from the <laughs> the first moment I met her, I thought she was awesome. That's you know, a great so. answer. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it doesn't. You know, but even still, it it didn't work out quite the way you would think. You know, but I was right from the beginning, apparently. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Nicely done. It clearly worked out for you. Yeah. And honestly, the first time I met her, she was singing. I, I used to sing. Her sister used to sing with me. And that's how I met her. Yeah. And so she, so her sister Molly brought her on a trip we were doing. I had a large group of people all going on a trip together to play music and, um, and so she came along and she sang with us. So from the first time I met her, she was singing. And um, obviously I always thought, well, this is cool. We could both sing together, you know. But she's funny. She'll take a long time away from singing. She doesn't, she's not ambitious about it like I am. Um, she's she's a potter. She's more into her pottery. I guess she's a little more ambitious with pottery. And then even the last 10 years having kids, she's been more in that world, which has taken her away from some of the singing and um but recently she's been doing a lot more of it and we've been doing more together as the kids have gotten older it's gotten easier and so that's been really exciting to do things together again and honestly when i first started we left our jobs in 2006 we traveled together all the time singing together that's great i love that um question number two You've had lots of people cover your songs and sing your songs. If you could have anyone, like, dead or alive, sing one of your songs, and it could be any song, who would you who would you choose and why? Hmm. Oh, man. Well, there's a million reasons. Gosh. Um, I'd be happy for any huge artist to cover one of my songs, you know. Um... But man, I don't know. I've never really thought of that. Who would I like to sing one of my songs? I've really never thought about that before. Um, I think it just sort of depends 
on what song. I don't know. I I'm kind of stumped to be honest. Yeah, no, I'm totally stumped because my a lot of my songs are so personal to me. It's almost like a it's hard to imagine someone else singing them, you know. Um, not that I'm against it at all. Like I think it's great. I think it's great. And actually it's really cool to hear another person singing back to you. Um Joy Williams covered, well, she didn't cover it. We did a duet for um, Wilder Love, and it was so amazing to hear her sing the verses to that song. Um, so that was really cool. I'd love to write more music for her, you know. I probably, we've, I feel like we've talked about it before. It's, I feel like it's been in the, whatever, I should, I should pursue that and see. Um, I need to spend more time in Nashville for that reason to write with people, but I'm terrible at that. I'm really terrible at it. But on the upside, you get to spend time with your family and still create, mm. so, you know, yeah. you win some really some. I know, for real. Um, okay, last question. If you could sure. go back to 2001, when you were just starting out in the music industry, um, mm -hmm. what would you say to yourself? Oh, gosh. 2001. I would say a lot of things. I think, first of all, I felt like success was something that's going to happen really, really quickly. And because of that, I really didn't invest as much into myself as I should have. I think it would have helped me to study music. It would have helped me to study singing, to take vocal lessons and have a vocal coach and learn more guitar. Um, I wish that I had known more about how to do a live show. Like how to put together a live show. I, I wish I'd have known more about how to talk to a crowd of people and how to um, make people feel good about themselves and make people in the audience feel valuable. Um, you know, but I wish mostly, I think I would have told myself to um, keep steady and work hard, but be patient. You know, like I, I, I think... I think a lot of people lose time trying to make things happen fast. When if they just worked hard and steady and smart, things would happen faster, but still not overnight, you know. And I'd probably tell myself to chill out a little bit. Like things I used to get out of sorts about used to set me out for weeks or, you know, are really small. Like uh, not to get too... Um, not to allow defeats or successes to define you. You know, is it looking back, things I thought were huge successes were not that big, and things I thought were huge failures weren't that big either. You know, but just to do the work and keep steady, I think, is what I would try and tell myself. I would not listen to me back then, knowing me back then, but uh, that's what I would say to me back then. Silent
are no words to describe exactly what just happened in my conversation with John Mark McMillan, but wow seems to sum it up. There will be some people that love what John Mark just said. Admittedly, I am one of them. I started this podcast to break my own cynicism. One of the best ways to do that, I believe, is to actually talk about the things that make us cynical, and sometimes with good reason. The fact that John Mark is now a dependent gives him the ability to speak about topics like that that he believes in. The fact that he chose to talk about the different trains of thought in the Christian music industry and how some people wouldn't want to partner up with others purely because of the whole hellfire mindset, and we've all described that differently, is real and it's fair. The fact that he is called out people saying that putting so much weight on lyrics is stupid not sure if I would have said it like that, but hey, he's a lyricist and one of the best in the industry. If there's anything I can say from this, purely from my own personal reflection, it's that if you feel disgruntled, uncomfortable, or maybe comforted by this, that's good. The idea of conversation and music and artistry is to make us feel things. If we feel uncomfortable, it's an indication it's actually tapped into us. We don't have to agree with everything everyone says. You may have loved today's episode. I did. If you didn't, that's cool, but you heard the thoughts of someone else who thought differently to you. That's what we need more than ever. The church is better because we listen to each other and we build on each other's strengths. So please don't go tweet John Mark and be like, hey, what you said was stupid. Half the church has already ragged on him for a decade about lyrics to a song called How He Loves, and he wrote it about his best friend who passed away tragically in a car accident. We need to get off our high horses a little bit, I think, and just be like, yep, this dude has something to say and he's allowed to say it. It wasn't with malice and it wasn't done in an attempt to be spiteful or to be mean to people. It was about being honest. That's what I asked John Mark to do and he did it. We've never spoken before, but he was blatantly honest with me and he shared some incredible stories. I'm inspired by his creativity by the fact that he was willing to be so open in front of us. Take that as you will, but there's nothing more that I would want in any person that I met than for them to be honest like that in front of me. We don't all have to agree on everything, but if we can be honest, then we have a basis to build some sort of relationship or actually find some sort of unity. Because at the core of this, whether we all believe the same thing or not, because let's be real in the Christian music industry, there have been so many of us and so many artists who have turned away or reshaped their faith because of what this industry or people in it or the fans have said or done to them. But if we can be honest, then we have the groundwork to build peace and unity again. It won't look perfect. It won't look like everyone believing the same thing or voting the same way. It won't look like all of us agreeing on the same lyrics or the same chord progression. It doesn't have to. It's about us learning to accept each other and hear each other again. I'm trying to do that by listening to these artists and I'm asking you to please do that too. That being said, back to Christmas, uh, John Mark McMillan's Smile in the Mystery is out now. It is such a beautiful album. I love the duets he does with his wife, Sarah. She has a stunning voice. Also, can we talk about how adorable his story of meeting her was? I love stories about when couples meet. It's so, so cute. Um, Put that around a Christmas carol and I'm like, I'm in, set. So guys, go pick up Smile on the Mystery now. You have a good three weeks to play it before Christmas is here. Play it through to the new year if you want. Don't need my permission to do that. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening to this episode, guys. It was heavy. 
but it was the best kind of heavy, right? Uh, next week, we are talking to another super inspiring artist, Audrey Assad. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that she agreed to be on this podcast because she is so well respected, but she also sticks to her gut and she knows exactly what she believes. She has wrestled with it and she expresses it beautifully. She has one of the most exquisite voices I have ever heard. If you love this too, hop on board. It's going to be some fun. I'll see you next week. Bye. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and Podcast. Stay connected by visiting www.betweenyouandmepod.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more Christian news, reviews, and interviews, get plugged in to JesusWire.com.